Chapter sixteen and seventeen of Cousin Maud by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sixteen, the blind girl. Maud's chamber was ready at last, and very inviting it looked with its coat of fresh paint, its cheerful paper, bright carpet, handsome bedstead, marble washstand, and mahogany bureau on which were arranged various little articles for the toilette the few pieces of furniture which mrs kennedy had ordered from the cabinet makers had amounted in all to nearly one hundred dollars but the bill was not yet sent in and in blissful ignorance of the surprise awaiting him the doctor rubbed his hands and tried to seem pleased when his wife passing her arm in his led him to the room which she compelled him to admire it was all very nice he said but wholly unnecessary for a blind girl what was the price of this he asked laying his hand upon the bedstead only twenty-five dollars wasn't it cheap and the wicked black eyes danced with merriment at the loud groan which succeeded the answer twenty-five dollars he exclaimed why the bedstead mattie and i slept in for seven years only cost three and it is now as good as new but times have changed said the lady everybody has nicer things besides do you know people used to talk dreadfully about a man of your standing being so stingy but i have done considerable toward correcting that impression you ain't stingy and in proof of it you'll give me fifty cents to buy cologne for this and she took up a beautiful bottle which stood upon the bureau the doctor had not fifty cents in change but a dollar bill would suit her exactly as well she said and secretly exulting in her mastery over the self-willed tyrant she suffered him to depart saying to himself as he descended the stair twenty-five dollars for one bedstead i won't stand it i'll do something what are you saying dear a melodious voice called after him and so accelerated his movements that the extremity of his coat disappeared from view just as the lady maud reached the head of the stairs oh was the involuntary exclamation of louis who had been a spectator of the scene and who felt intuitively that his father had found his mistress during her few weeks residence at laurel hill maud glendower had bound the crippled boy to herself by many a deed of love and whatever she did was sure of meeting his approval with him she had consulted concerning his sister's room yielding often to his artist's taste in the arrangement of the furniture and now that the chamber was ready they both awaited impatiently the arrival of its occupant nelly's last letter had been rather encouraging and maud herself had appended her name at his close the writing was tremulous and uncertain but it brought hope to the heart of the brother who had never really believed it possible for his sister to be blind very restless he seemed on the day when she was expected and when just as the sun was setting the carriage drove to the gate a faint sickness crept over him and wheeling his chair to the window of her room he looked anxiously at her as with john's assistance she alighted from the carriage if she walks alone i shall know she is not very blind he said and with clasped hands he watched her intently as she came slowly toward the house with nelly a little in advance nearer and nearer she came closer and closer the burning forehead was pressed against the window-pane and hope beat high in louis's heart when suddenly she turned aside her foot rested on the withered violets which grew outside the walk and her hand groped in the empty air she's blind she's blind said louis and with a moaning cry he laid his head upon the broad arm of his chair sobbing most bitterly meantime below there was a strange interview between the new mother and her children 
maud glendower clasping her namesake in her arms and weeping over her as she had never wept before but once and that when the moonlight shone upon her sitting by a distant grave pushing back the clustering curls she kissed the open brow and looked into the soft black eyes with a burning gaze which penetrated the shadowy darkness and brought a flush to the cheek of the young girl maud remington maud remington she said dwelling long upon the latter name the sight of you affects me painfully you are so like the one i have lost i shall love you maud remington for the sake of the dead and you too must love me and call me mother will you and her lips again touched those of the astonished maiden though fading fast the light was not yet quenched in maud's eyes and very wistfully she scanned the face of the speaker while her hands moved caressingly over each feature as she said i will love you beautiful lady though you can never be to me what my gentle mother was at the sound of that voice maud glendower started suddenly and turning aside so her words could not be heard she murmured sadly both father and child prefer her to me then recollecting herself she offered her hand to the wondering nelly saying your sister's misfortune must be my excuse for devoting so much time to her when you as my eldest daughter were entitled to my first attention her stepmother's evident preference for maud had greatly offended the selfish nelly who coldly answered don't trouble yourself madam it's not of the least consequence but where is my father he will welcome me i am sure the feeling too often existing between stepmothers and stepdaughters had sprung into life and henceforth the intercourse of maud glendower and nelly kennedy would be marked with studied politeness and nothing more but the former did not care so long as her eye could feast itself upon the face and form of maud remington she was content and as nelly left the room she wound her arm around the comparatively helpless girl saying let me take you to your brother although unwilling usually to be led maud yielded now and suffered herself to be conducted to the chamber where louis watched for her coming she could see enough to know there was a change and clasping her companion's hand she said i am surely indebted to you for this surprise maud maud and the tones of louis's voice trembled with joy as stretching his arms toward her he cried you can see guided more by the sound than by actual vision maud flew like lightning to his side and kneeling before him hid her face in his lap while he bent fondly over her beseeching her to say if she could see it was a most touching sight and drawing near maud glendower mingled her tears with those of the unfortunate children on whom affliction had laid her heavy hand maud remington was naturally of a hopeful nature and though she had passed through many an hour of anguish and had rebelled against the fearful doom which seemed to be approaching she did not yet despair she still saw a little could discern colours and forms and could tell one person from another i shall be better by and by she said when assured by the sound of retreating footsteps that they were alone i am following implicitly the doctor's directions and i hope to see by christmas but if i do not here she broke down entirely and wringing her hands she cried oh brother brother must i be blind i can't i can't for who will care for poor blind helpless maud i sister i and hushing his own great sorrow the crippled boy comforted the weeping girl just as she had once comforted him when in the quiet graveyard he had lain down in the long rank grass and wished that he might die pa's new wife will care for you too he said she's a beautiful woman maud and a good one i am sure 
for she cried so hard over mother's grave and her voice was so gentle when just as though she had known our mother she said darling matty i will be kind to your children and that i will i will came faintly from the hall without where maud glendower stood her eyes riveted upon the upturned face of maud and her whole body swelling with emotion a sad heritage had been bequeathed to her a crippled boy and a weak blind girl but in some respects she was a noble woman and as she gazed upon the two she resolved that so long as she should live so long should the helpless children of matty remington have a steadfast friend hearing her husband's voice below she glided down the stairs leaving louis and maud really alone sister said louis after a moment what of mr de vere is he true to the last i have released him answered maud i am nothing to him now and very calmly she proceeded to tell him of the night when she had said to mr de vere my money is gone my sight is going too and i give you back your troth making you free to marry another nelly if you choose she is better suited to you than i have ever been though secretly pleased at her offering to give him up j c made a show of resistance but she had prevailed at last and with the assurance that he should always esteem her highly he consented to the breaking of the engagement and the very next afternoon rode out with nelly kennedy he will marry her i think maud said as she finished narrating the circumstances and looking into her calm unruffled face louis felt sure that she had outlived her love for one who had proved himself as fickle as j c de vere and what of james he asked is he still in new orleans he is answered maud he has a large wholesale establishment there and as one of the partners is sick he has taken his place for the winter he wrote to his cousin often bidding him spare no expense for me and offering to pay the bills if j c was not able a while longer they conversed and then they were summoned to supper mrs kennedy coming herself for maud who did not refuse to be assisted by her the wind hurt my eyes they will be better to-morrow she said and with her old sunny smile she greeted her stepfather and then turned to hannah and john who had come in to see her but alas for the delusion the morrow brought no improvement neither the next day nor the next and as the world grew dim there crept into her heart a sense of utter desolation which neither the tender love of maud glendower nor yet the untiring devotion of louis could in any degree dispel all day would she sit opposite the window her eyes fixed on the light with a longing eager gaze as if she feared that the next moment it might leave her for ever whatever he could do for her louis did going to her room each morning and arranging her dress and hair just as he knew she used to wear it she would not suffer any one else to do this for her and in performing these little offices louis felt that he was only repaying her in part for all she had done for him christmas eve came at last and if she thought of what was once to have been on the morrow she gave no outward token and with her accustomed smile bade the family good-night the next morning louis went often to her door and hearing no sound within fancied she was sleeping until at last as the clock struck nine he ventured to go in maud was awake and advancing to her side he bade her a merry christmas playfully chiding her the while for having slept so late a wild startled expression flashed over her face as she said late louis is it morning then i've watched so long to see the light louis did not understand her and he answered morning yes the sunshine is streaming into the room don't you see it sunshine and maud's lips quivered with fear as springing from her pillow she whispered faintly lead me to the window 
he complied with her request watching her curiously as she laid both hands in the warm sunshine which bathed her fair round arms and shone upon her raven hair she felt what she could not see and louis kennedy never forgot the agonized expression of the white beautiful face which turned toward him as the wretched maud moaned piteously yes brother tis morning to you but dark dark night to me i'm blind oh i'm blind she did not faint she did not shriek but she stood there rigid and immovable her countenance giving fearful token of the terrible storm within she was battling fiercely with her fate and until twice repeated she did not hear the childish voice which said to her pleadingly don't look so sister you frighten me and there may be some hope yet hope she repeated bitterly turning her sightless eyes toward him there is no hope but death maud and louis's voice was like a plaint of harp so mournful was its tone maud once in the very spot where mother is lying now you said because i was a cripple you would love me all the more you have kept that promise well my sister you have been all the world to me and now that you are blind i too will love you more i will be your light your eyes and when james de vere comes back no 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 moaned maud sinking upon the floor nobody will care for me nobody will love a blind girl oh is it so wicked to wish that i could die lying here in the sunshine which i shall never see again there was a movement at the door and mrs kennedy appeared starting back as her eye fell upon the face of the prostrate girl who recognized her step and murmured sadly mother i'm blind wholly blind louis's grief had been too great for tears but maud glendower's flowed at once and bending over the white-faced girl she strove to comfort her telling her how she would always love her that every wish should be gratified then give me back my sight oh give me back my sight and maud clasped her mother's hands imploringly ere long she grew more calm and suffered herself to be dressed as usual but she would not admit any one to her room neither on that day nor for many succeeding days at length however this feeling wore away and in the heartfelt sympathy of her family and friends she found a slight balm for her grief even the doctor was softened and when messrs beebe and company sent in a bill of ninety-five dollars for various articles of furniture the frown upon his face gave way when his wife said to him it was for maud you know poor maud seemed to be the sentiment of the whole household and nelly herself said it many a time as with unwonted tenderness she caressed the unfortunate girl fearing the while lest she had done her wrong for she did not then understand the nature of maud's feelings for j c de vere to whom nelly was now engaged urged on by mrs kelsey and a fast diminishing income j c had written to nelly soon after her return to laurel hill asking her to be his wife he did not disguise his former love for maud neither did he pretend to have outlived it but he said he could not wed a blind girl and nelly forgetting her assertion that she would never marry one who had first proposed to maud was only too much pleased to answer yes and when j c insisted upon an early day she named the fifth of march her twentieth birthday she was to be married at home and as the preparations for the wedding would cause a great amount of bustle and confusion in the house it seemed necessary that maud should know the cause and with a beating heart nelly went to her one day to tell the news very composedly maud listened to the story and then as composedly replied i am truly glad and trust you will be happy so i should be answered nelly if i were sure you did not care 
care for whom returned maud for j c de vere every particle of love for him has died out and i am now inclined to think i never entertained for him more than a girlish fancy while he certainly did not truly care for me this answer was very quieting to nelly's conscience and in unusually good spirits she abandoned herself to the excitement which usually precedes a wedding mrs kennedy too entered heart and soul into the matter and arming herself with the plea that it was his only daughter who would probably never be married again she coaxed her husband into all manner of extravagances and by the first of march few would have recognized the interior of the house so changed was it by furniture and repairs handsome damask curtains shaded the parlor windows which were further improved by large heavy panes of glass mattie's piano had been removed to maud's chamber and its place supplied by a new and costly instrument which the crafty woman made her husband believe was intended by mrs kelsey who selected it as a bridal present for her niece the furnace was in splendid order keeping the whole house as hannah said hotter than an oven while the disturbed doctor lamented daily over the amount of fuel it consumed and nightly counted the contents of his purse or reckoned up how much he was probably worth but neither his remonstrances nor yet his frequent groans had any effect upon his wife although she had no love for nelly she was determined upon a splendid wedding one which would make folks talk for months and when her liege lord complained of the confusion she suggested to him a furnished room in the garret where it would be very quiet for him to reckon up the bill which from time to time she brought him might as well get in at onset john said to him one day when he borrowed ten dollars for the payment of an oyster bill i tell you she's got more bism in her than both them t'other ones the doctor probably thought so too for he became comparatively submissive though he visited often the sunken graves where he found a mournful solace in reading katie wife of dr kennedy aged twenty-nine mattie second wife of dr kennedy aged thirty and once he was absolutely guilty of wondering how the words maud third wife of dr kennedy aged forty-one would look but he repented of the wicked thought and when on his return from his graveyard musings maud aged forty-one asked him for the twenty dollars which she saw a man pay to him that morning he gave it to her without a word meanwhile the fickle j c in rochester was one moment regretting the step he was about to take and the next wishing the day would hasten so he could have it over with maud remington had secured a place in his affections which nelly could not fill and though he had no wish to marry her now he tried to make himself believe that but for her misfortune she should still have become his wife jim would marry her i dare say even if she were blind as a bat he said but then he is able to support her and reminded by this of an unanswered letter from his cousin who was still in new orleans he sat down and wrote telling him of maud's total blindness and then almost in the next sentence saying that his wedding was fixed for the fifth of march there he exclaimed as he read over the letter i believe i must be crazy for i never told him that the bride was nelly but no matter i'd like to have him think me magnanimous for a while and i want to hear what he says two weeks or more went by and then there came an answer fraught with sympathy for maud and full of commendation for j c who had shown himself a man accompanying the letter was a box containing a most exquisite set of pearls for the bride together with a diamond ring on which was inscribed cousin maud ain't i in a deuced scrape said j c as he examined the beautiful ornaments nelly would be delighted with them but she shan't have them they are not hers i'll write to jim at once and tell him the mistake 
and seizing his pen he dashed off a few lines little guessing how much happiness they would carry to the far-off city where daily and nightly james de vere fought manfully with the love that clung with a death-like grasp to the girl j c had forsaken the poor blind helpless maud seventeen nelly's bridal night the blind girl sat alone in her chamber listening to the sound of merry voices in the hall without or the patter of feet as the arriving guests tripped up and down the stairs she had heard the voice of j c de vere as he passed her door but it awoke within her bosom no lingering regret and when an hour later nelly stood before her arrayed in her bridal robes she passed her hand caressingly over the flowing curls the fair round face the satin dress and streaming veil saying as she did so i know you are beautiful my sister and if a blind girl's blessing can be of any avail you have it most cordially both mrs kennedy and nelly had urged ma to be present at the ceremony but she shrank from the gaze of strangers and preferred remaining in her room an arrangement quite satisfactory to j c who did not care to meet her then it seemed probable that some of the guests would go up to see her and knowing this mrs kennedy had arranged her curls and dress with unusual care saying to her as she kissed her pale cheek you are far more beautiful than the bride and maud was beautiful recent suffering and non-exposure to the open air had imparted a delicacy to her complexion which harmonized well with the mournful expression of her face and the idea of touching helplessness which her presence inspired her long fringed eyelashes rested upon her cheek and her short glossy curls were never more becomingly arranged than now when stepping backward a pace or two mrs kennedy stopped a moment to admire her again ere going below where her presence was already needed the din of voices grew louder in the hall there was a tread of many feet upon the stairs succeeded by a solemn hush and maud listening to every sound knew that the man to whom she had been plighted was giving to another his marriage vow she had no love for j c de vere but as she sat there alone in her desolation and thoughts of her sister's happiness rose up in contrast to her own dark hopeless lot who shall blame her if she covered her face with her hands and wept most bitterly poor maud it was dark dark night within and dark night without and her dim eye could not penetrate the gloom nor see the star which hung o'er the brow of the distant hill where a wayworn man was toiling on days and nights had he travelled unmindful of fatigue while his throbbing heart outstripped the steam-god by many a mile the letter had fulfilled its mission and with one wild burst of joy when he read that she was free he started for the north he was not expected at the wedding but it would be a glad surprise he knew and he pressed untiringly on thinking but one thought and that how he would comfort the poor blind maud he did not know that even then her love belonged to him but he could win it perhaps and then away to sunny france where many a wonderful cure had been wrought and might be wrought again the bridal was over and the congratulations nearly so when a stranger was announced an uninvited guest and from his armchair in the corner louis saw that it was the same kind face which had bent so fearlessly over his pillow little more than six months before james de vere the name was echoed from lip to lip but did not penetrate the silent chamber where maud sat weeping yet a rapid glance through the rooms assured the young man that she was not there and when the summons to supper was given he went to louis and asked him for his sister she is upstairs said louis adding impulsively she will be glad you have come for she has talked of you so much talked of me 
and the eyes of james de vere looked earnestly into louis's face and does she talk of me still yes said louis i heard her once when she was asleep though i ought not to have mentioned it he continued suddenly recollecting himself for when i told her she blushed so red and bade me not to tell take me to her will you said mr de vere and following his guide he was soon opposite the door of maud's room wait a moment he exclaimed passing his fingers through his hair and trying in vain to brush from his coat the dust which had settled there it don't matter for she can't see said louis who comprehended at once the feelings of his companion by this time they stood within the chamber but so absorbed was maud in her own grief that she did not hear her brother until he bent over her and whispered in her ear wake sister if you're sleeping he's come he's here she had no need to ask of him who had come she knew intuitively and starting up her unclosed eyes flashed eagerly around the room turning at last toward the door where she felt that he was standing james de vere remained motionless watching intently the fair troubled face which had never seemed so fair to him before brother have you deceived me where is he she said at last as her listening ear caught no new sound here maud here and gliding to her side mr de vere wound his arm around her and kissing her lips called her by the name to which she was getting accustomed and which never sounded so soothingly as when breathed by his melodious voice my poor blind maud was all he said but by the clasp of his warm hand by the tears she felt upon her cheek and by his very silence she knew how deeply he sympathized with her knowing that they would rather be alone louis went below where many inquiries were making for the guest who had so suddenly disappeared the interview between the two was short for some of maud's acquaintances came up to see her but it sufficed for mr de vere to learn all that he cared particularly to know then maud did not love j c whose marriage with another caused her no regret and this knowledge made the future seem hopeful and bright it was not the time to speak of that future to her but he bade her take courage hinting that his purse should never be closed until every possible means had been used for the restoration of her sight what wonder then if she dreamed that night that she could see again and that the good angel by whose agency this blessing had been restored to her was none other than james de vere chapters sixteen and seventeen